Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast, hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. In each high-impact segment, Quint and Dan bring together leaders and changemakers from across healthcare to discuss the latest industry insights, offer solutions to some of healthcare's greatest challenges, and provide replenishment and well-being tools that will refill your emotional bank account. With a focus on practical tools, techniques, and best practices, you'll walk away from each episode with ideas you can implement in your own role, organization, and community. I'm Nicole Webb-Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Quint Studer and Dan Collard, your hosts, co-founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with the mission of having a positive impact on those that receive care and those that provide care. HPSG specializes in delivering customized solutions that build and develop skills to help healthcare organizations achieve and sustain high performance. Quint is a well-known author, operator, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated his life to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. Dan is a seasoned executive with a passion for improving healthcare and leading organizations through change. From rural hospitals to complex health systems and academic medical centers, Dan has helped organizations across the industry attain best-in-class performance. For more information about your host and our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com. And now please welcome today's guest. Welcome back to the Healthcare Plus podcast. I'm Dan Collard, and and this is really a neat podcast edition in that we have both Quint Studer and Katie Boston Leary from the American Nursing Association uh, here today to talk about a couple of studies that we've done together, uh, both where the studies came from and where now the studies have brought us. And so I'd just like to start, let's just jump in right at the very beginning. Quint and Katie, how, how did the two of you connect originally? <laughs> Quint, do you want to tell the story? I think you're better at telling it. <laughs> I think it was 2000. Something 16 or something like that. Katie came up to me when we reconnected and she showed me a photo of her standing in line getting me to sign a book. And what we didn't know is we had a mutual admiration society for each other because I've always followed her. So the one thing we'll probably never agree on is, is who can should be thanking who. But I just want to thank Katie. So and, and then as we started looking at training and development, I just had great respect. I've always been a nurse advocate from day one because um, I think this thing centers on if you have great nursing, you have great health care and you have to have it. And so we've always connected. She came and spoke at one of our conferences and then we got into research because, again, we found out we have that in common, too. We like to diagnose and do research before we come up with some treatment plan. So that's how we collaborated on this research when I started looking at different care models. What are people trying? I kept hearing different things, but I didn't know if it worked and it was very anecdotal. So I, I called Katie and asked if she'd be interested in helping with this research. And she's the one that found the Jocelyn, you know, Jocelyn Insight Company for us, which has been just wonderful. So that's how it goes back to Katie and I for a lot of years. And I'm just so thrilled we're going to work. We do a lot of work together. We do a lot of presentations. We're going to be a magnet coming up and all we want to do is help nurses feel joyful about what they do. Absolutely. Fact, we want everyone to be joyful because I want all the nursing to have staff around them that are joyful. But it's just sad. Dan, I got a, an email today from a lady. She's followed me on LinkedIn. And she wanted to let me know that she's resigned her job as a hospital nurse. And she sort of poured her heart out. She's still going to be a nurse. She's going somewhere else. But she just said, 
this is just too hard right now. So we want to make it not as hard right now. Katie? Right. Yeah, no, Quentin, um, I've been a disciple (laughs) for years before we finally met. And um, from your work and following you over the years before we actually met, you know, you had me at hello. Um, So uh, to be able to work with you, um, even getting to know you a little bit more, a lot more, um, and uh, seeing your passion for nurses and nursing and making the environment better and really talking to leaders about their role in that, um, um, you have a friend for life in me. So. You know, Quint talked about taking an early look at care models. Katie, you've got such a great lens on the industry and and sort of, you know, this this chief advocate role for nurses. What was it that drew you to the opportunity to do this research? Was there was there something beyond the care model concept that really drew you to the research? Yeah, and I think Quint mentioned that we 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 knew that there was an urgency for something to happen, particularly given what we what we all witnessed and experienced during the pandemic. Um, so th- I think it's unquestionable um, that um, broadly there's knowledge that our care delivery models are probably need to be updated. Uh, they're antiquated. They're not working anymore. There's not enough research on them. Um, so started to see some activity around, um, you know, listing care delivery models. But what we wanted to do was, um, you know, set up our research with a litmus test where it's not just a listing of uh, care delivery models, but um, from leaders, but we wanted to hear nurses tell us whether these models were working. So uh, that's that that pretty much is, it's really to understand whether there are gaps in perception between nurses and nurse leaders. And that's how we started the first uh, survey um, and um, also that led us into the second survey that was done. We felt that there was a lot more to understand in terms of perception um, of, of what was working, what wasn't, what's effective, what could help improve work environments, um, what nurses feel is working for them in terms of growth and development, all the different roles and how they contribute to the care delivery model. So that's what brought us here. And it's really been um, fascinating, some validating, but mostly fascinating. Uh, results. I remember hearing the two of you present at ACHE in March of 2023. And, you know, a lot of times when you see presentations like that, it's sort of a one and done. It's here's what we found. Here are the findings. But in this case, with the models of care phase one, it just seems like the learnings continue. And so that's what I'd like to focus on from, from both of you is beyond the care model aspect, what were two or three things that really jumped off the page for phase one when you took a look at the results with these, you know, upwards towards 3,000 nurse uh, interviews as part of the study? Well, let me go quick. And then I don't want to say quick because I've never done anything quick in my life except eat, I eat fast. And and then Katie goes, I, I think Katie's going to talk a lot about this, but I think number the big fish issue for me is when you're a leader, you're usually a pretty good presenter. You think something is obvious. And I think what happened is some of the things that I thought were obvious, there was more resistance to what I thought was obvious than there was there. So one of the things that um, Jocelyn Insights did really cool is they studied early on resistance to change. Because, you know, this is all about change. And even good change can be scary, is what I've learned. So, you know, one of the questions I thought when you need staff so desperately, 
and we asked the nurses, um, nurse managers, what do you think of bringing LPNs more into the inpatient side of the hospital? You think, well, gosh, everybody's going to really love that because that's going to bring some extra pair of hands. Well, what we found out, and Katie might want to talk about that, um, it wasn't as evident to the front. The frontline staff was not near as excited about it as I think the nurse managers thought they would be. And if you don't know the resistance, how do you prepare for it? So I'm going to give some numbers to the group listeners real quick. About 40% of the people in healthcare are not that resistant. That 3,100 nurses were open to change, you know, either really open to it or sort of open to it. So you got 40% of your people that are going to walk out of the room and say, this sounds great. And if you don't know, you think everyone feels that way because that's going to be the group that's going to come up to you at a meeting and say, this sounds great. I can't wait. Um, about 32% are not for change. So we got 40% for change, 32% more resistance to change, and about 28% in the middle. So what it really taught me is how important it is when no matter what we're implementing, we look at the process of change, how to keep the people with us, with us, how to move the people neutral over to us, and how to move some of those resistance to it. And that was, I just thought, very enlightening because I, I think so too. And I, I think something's really good. I just assume everyone's feeling like I am. Not realizing, no, 60% of the group's not feeling like I am. Katie? No, I agree. I think that was uh, the major um, uh, revelation from this study is um, uh, that the, it's, it's, it's that piece about how we have a lot of resistors because there's a belief, there was a belief that most of us had that a number of things that happened, we had forced experimentation during the pandemic. So a number of things that have been, you know, lagging for, for years in terms of um, uh, innovation moved. Um, so we felt that we were in this space now where uh, a lot of these things that took place will continue or there will be a building on. And we have not seen that necessarily. And this data, it shows us all why it's. Um, people, um, you know, that that uh, there's still and I'm hearing this and Quint, I know he's, he's hearing the same thing. People, because it's still a little scary of what's new, they're reverting back to old ways. It's comfortable. It's safe. Um, in some cases, it doesn't require a heavy invest, investment up front. So they're going back to the way things were. And that could be a big mistake for us because uh uh, we're seeing the other indicator of that, where people are bowing out of being um, active deliverers of care, um, um, particularly in the hospital setting. You see it in nurses, you see it in physicians, you see all these different groups and all these things that are changing. So that's kind of why we are in this place. I think, too, Katie, what we found is not on this study, but another study by Dr. and Catherine Meese on trust. There's been a tremendous erosion of trust for senior executives because of the pandemic. So anytime we're asking people to change, if people trust us, they're more likely to be compliant or give us the benefit of the doubt. So if Katie trusts me, she's more willing to at least give it a shot. But if she doesn't trust me, that's not going to happen. So now we've got the change aspect trying to load change onto lack of trust. And I, I just look over and over again with every research that shows I'm not sure I trust what they're telling me. I don't feel I need operational support. And Dan, you and I were at a meeting last Monday, and there were some real eye-overs, you know, with it. You know, charge nurses are in staffing. Well, then they're not a charge nurse if they're in staffing. 
too much turnover on certified nurse assistants, too much turnover in environmental services, because 80-something percent of nurses tell us cleanliness is really vital to them and for their patients. So I, I think what, what Katie says, we sort of have to go down two roads, not only explaining change really, really well, but rebuilding trust that people can trust what we're trying to say to them as we move forward. Something that I think sort of lands in the middle of, of both of those observations is still this, this, you know, undying desire to be developed. And, and we all know that if I became a leader during the pandemic, I didn't get onboarded in a traditional way, might not have gotten mentored or precepted in a traditional way. But there, but there's this sense of, I still want to be developed. How do, how do we find perhaps a way of building trust and as well as thinking about building Building skills like delegation, things like that. Katie, I'd love your thoughts on one of those elements that came out of the first study on the need for continued development. Yeah, I th- uh, well, one of the things that we I know that we tend to see in our data from the American Nurse Association, uh, particularly the foundation that conducts these studies, is that nurses don't feel that they're being heard. Um, and, and that continues to show up in a number of these other spaces where um, you know, there are forums for shared governance for nurses to share their concerns. And, and you talk to nurses, they say, we share them. You talk to leaders, we say, they say, uh, we hear them. And then when change doesn't happen, that's where people don't feel heard. So I think that's a bridging that needs to happen. And a number of these uh, things that, you know, is still yet to be um, uh, yet to evolve to the level that they should. So that's why you find um, is there a lot of innovation in um, growth and development and um, creating opportunities for nurses to be able to leverage all the skills? We talk about how nurses are not one dimensional. They're certainly not two dimensional. They come to the table with a number of other skills, some outside of nursing. They want to hone those skills and leverage them appropriately, sometimes in the places where they work as nurses, and we have to understand those skills so we can um, help nurses find an outlet to be able to seen, to, to be seen um, for, for all the different la- layers that they are. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what you see there in that data is um, there isn't this intentionality around um, adjusting. And, and we also tend to um, look at nurses in you know in this multi this multi generational workforce right we have what five or six generations now in one setting working together and um, we do lumping as well right in terms of this is what Gen Xers need and this is what baby boomers need um, to a certain degree we have to break through that a little bit even though there is some truth in that data to understand cleanly you know what overall needs are. And the study also reveals some of those things. So um, it's the listening piece and listening means hearing and responding, not just hearing. And that's why we're seeing a lot of those disparities in the data. Got it. And, and so before we go on to the second phase now, you know, we always like to be able to provide really practical tips Uh, tools, techniques on the podcast. So I've heard you talk about trust. I've heard you talk about development and, and I've heard heard you talk about, you know, what really matters to nurses. And part of that, Katie, I've heard you reference nurses as the sponges of the organization. And the the problem is that I think the sponges are now completely soaked full. 
so between the two of you, I'd love to, to maybe come up with two or three things that if I'm a listener to this podcast and, and I and I hear the the challenge, what could be some real doable solutions in the near term if I'm a, a especially a senior leader listening to this podcast? No, so I'm stalling because I think you'll have a better answer than me. Um, I think it's I think it's a challenge. I think we're great at putting things on the plate. We've got to look at what we can take off. So the reason we did phase two study was that. And I thought the real value of phase two study, which people are going to be able to go to healthcareplussg.com. And that's why I love what the work of the American Nurses Association. I have such great respect because, Dan, if you remember the first time we heard Katie um, do a presentation, it was before we started this study. She showed another study they had done but showed how much nurses want skill development by age almost. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really asking, is there some things we can take off your plate, particularly with nurse managers, which then cascades down to nurses? Is there some document? I understand documentation for patients, but just to document, to document, to document, I think we've got to look at changing some of that. So I think it's personal, and I think you go down to each person and I think the other thing I, I think we're underestimating is the newness in healthcare. You know, Dan, you and I were out in California together at a hospital system of what, 12,000 employees and 3,400 weren't there three years ago. You know, 30, 40% of the leaders. So I don't have a great answer, except we've got to try to say, what are some stuff that's bugging you? And I think we, what are some things we can get rid of? What are some things we can slow down? What are some things that, that we can stop? And because I think it's really difficult. Again, we're an organization and it's, you got to get the staff in there somehow, because if people got charge nurses working in, in staffing, they don't get the charge nurse, the float floating issue comes in. And, you know, nurses have always been such great team players. I mean, really nurses are nurses are roll up the sleeves. They're great team players. But, but I think you've got to start off listening and what's frustrating you. What are some things that we can quit doing? What are some things we can do less of? Because um, they're overwhelmed right now. And anytime you have this much newness, you've got to narrow the scope. And, and somehow we're an industry that thinks a nurse should come in. It's not a plug and play. It's, it's not like the new person comes in and they can do everything the person they're replacing is doing. No other industry thinks like that except healthcare. And, and people aren't, can't do that. So I'll, you know, you get, again, any other industry, you get a new person that comes in, there's a long ramp up. In, in nursing, the ramp up is about 12 minutes before they expect you to be doing everything that someone else is doing. So, again, I don't have a great answer, except I want to listen and figure out how can I make your life better? What can I take away? And what other things can I do? Because Which could be skill building, but not so much skill building that they walk out feeling less than. Because, as you know, Katie said, we want mentorship, not tormentorship in healthcare. Katie? Yeah, uh, uh, what he said. It, you, you just, I, I mean, everything that you said is, is spot on. And uh, I, I do think that a lot of what Quint mentioned for us to get there, because, you know, when I hear people talk about care delivery models and innovations and things like that, 
I, I point them to this study because it really gets to the filaments of it, right? The elements of care delivery that we have not taken the time to understand how they're functioning, what make, how, how they can be better, what they do, what could be taken away, um, what could be more tech enabled, what could be um, augmented and, and, and all the things that used to make sense that don't make sense anymore. And so the humility that's required of leaders uh, to recognize our shortcomings and our shortfalls and and also acknowledging where we probably um, how where we can do better um, I think is required and I and, and um, um, there's this great podcast called um, how to kill your own company um, and it was an organizational change psychologist that um, uh, led this talk and um, she talks about how, um, a lot of organizations over the years that have uh, uh, dis been disrupted that um, are no longer, that used to be mainstays, are no longer there because um, they had Titanic syndrome, you know, where there's this arrogance because you think that it's that too big to fail kind of mentality around um, always being here, never going anywhere. We don't have to change urgently. Um, and this could be happening in healthcare somewhat. Um, it's not that healthcare will always be delivered, but it's a matter of how it's going to be delivered. And when it's our turn to seek care, who's going to be at the bedside? Will there be anyone? So, so that is the urgency, right? It's not that healthcare goes out of business, which it kind of is from a dollars and cents piece, but it's really the the care that we're supposed to be giving for a high income country. And a, and a very developed nation is where we're falling short. So I think these are the elements we need to pay attention to, to avoid us from being as arrogant as the people that were on the Titanic, um, that will cause us to be in this place where um, we, we, it will be something um, that it will be unimaginable in terms of the types of things we're going to end up seeing if we don't course correct now. I think you and I talked real early on about when the pandemic came, a lot of these issues been sitting there for years and years. And years. It's sort of like when a, when a hurricane comes through your city, you learn a whole bunch of structure that probably was weak before the hurricane came, but it just made it where they couldn't survive. The other thing I think is really important here is, again, I'm talking to someone who's, who's let's not think that one fix is going to solve everything. So all right. of a sudden, everything's going to be virtual nursing. We're going to live happily ever after. Right. It's a whole bunch of things we need to do. But we also have to constantly look at the human element. So, for example, Katie, based on our presentation last week, I spent time with the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction. There are 2,000 employees that's putting in EPIC. And what they wanted to talk about is how do we help the human element of implementation of EPIC? And EPIC was there. And they actually got up and said, usually if the installation doesn't go well, it's not because of the technology, it's the human element. So might my, my just ask of people listening is there's not just one answer, but there's going to be a lot of answers. But part of it is letting our staff know we love them, we care about them, we have empathy for them, and we need to do a whole bunch of things that that we a whole bunch of things not just one thing and think is okay now it's over the heat's off a little bit yeah i agree so if you think about that real practical 
one of the real practical outcomes of phase one, you know, there, there was that typical quadrant illustration where the things in the upper left meant the most. And, and what we found in the upper left were things like charge nurses, uh, CNAs, and the support services department. And with that, we were able to, to launch phase two uh, of this study. So let's really now, it's sort of like the old Toyota commercial. We uh, You asked for it, you got it. So we, we heard uh, the nurses' feedback there. We launched the study. The study's now been completed. And the two of you will now be presenting at a couple of national conferences around phase two findings. Real quickly, let's let's start with again the findings. What what did you what did you see? What did you learn when we extended that one, you know, that one section of the quadrants with those three factoids that the nurses said were just really important? For me, I think we're we're sometimes underestimate the support staff that sits around nursing. So of course we want to recruit nurses, absolutely. But my gosh, that certified nurse assistants and unit coordinator is extremely valuable to them. And we go around the country and find some of them barely make minimum wage and they're not interchangeable. These people are valuable, valuable people and they've got to feel great. And also nurses have to show how much they appreciate them. The charge nurse, again, I'm on the inpatient side, the charge nurse. How important is that? Yet when we look at the study, the majority of organizations, because they're trying to cut down on travel or something else, have charge nurses and staffing. Well, you not only do you, do you lose what a charge nurse should do, but you're going to lose charge nurses because they're going to say, this is not what I signed up for. And, and sadly, they're, they're, in a almost, they're in a very important leadership role. It's not n- unusual. When you see an organization bring everyone in leadership together for supervisor training, who's not there is the charge nurse because they're back running the organization. The, the third part, which really hit me, was the whole cleanliness issue. You know, 80-something percent of nurses are concerned about the cleanliness in their organizations. And, and once again, we have way too much turnover in these positions. And I think it's really, really hard because if I know, again, if a nurse the place isn't clean. The nurse goes in and notices it. Unless they clean it themselves, which some will do, they've got to, to call somebody, try to get somebody to come in. I think that's really, really difficult. So again, sometimes they, they think it's, well, we can go on to this big, sexy stuff. I get it. But my gosh, there's some just basic core issues, what nurses need and support that, again, and this wasn't me. These are the top top three items. And that's why we dug a little deeper. And I think the neat part when people go and read it is we have a whole list of what are the things that nurses feel best that somebody else could do. But for somebody else to do it, that somebody else has to actually be there. And and I think retention of those individuals that support nurses is as important as retention of the nurses themselves. Katie? Totally agree with you um, that that pick up from what we needed to understand a little bit more and the feedback that we did get at the ACHE presentation. Um, and I remember it very vividly. Someone said, well, will the retired nurses come? Because there was a lot of talk about bringing back retired nurses. And the data indicated not so much. Um, they would come, but um, only on a part-time volunteer basis. And in most cases, they don't want to get involved in direct patient care. Um, we all knew that uh, the direction of uh, charge nurses having to take an assignment 
alignment is something that has been happening over the years. Uh, but during this time where we have a lot of nurses, we have a, this widening knowledge complex complexity gap, you know, where um, uh, nurse, uh, our nurse entrance exam rates are falling, um, pass rates are falling. Um, the number of nurses interested in nurse people interested in nursing is is falling. Um, nurses are feeling less prepared um, once they graduate to be able to function somewhat independently. So you add all that on top of the fact that uh, people are very sick. Um, acuity is high. Um, it's a bad mix. Um, so you have to wonder about the quality of care. Um, and that's why this data is so important, uh, where it just points out the fact that, uh, you know, we we really have a major gap there that we have to contend with. And yes, we could bring in retired nurses. Not a lot of them would want like to come. We can, though, augment it with virtual nursing, which would allow some of these retired nurses or people that have left the hospital setting to continue to be involved somewhat, even if they're not providing hands-on patient care. Um, look at the support services that are around to bolster um, the care environment where some of these positions not only it's not just having them, but having them consistently. And we know a number of organizations stop would, would start to taper these services down uh, later in the day um, and on weekends, but which doesn't make sense because the emergency room never closes and it doesn't reduce hours, right? Patients, and that is that is the new front door to hospitals. So you have all these pieces. And then uh, I think Quint has done a really great job of illustrating um, the leadership component of this study is the fact that we do have a gap in terms of how nurses perceive themselves in terms of their skill sets and leading and, and really what they are bringing to the table. And we do need to look at change management. We need to look at uh, accountability and, and delegation because delegation is a major issue when dealing with these support services and with dealing with CNAs. So there are all these pieces that we have to reconcile to get to a healthy work environment, to get us to our uh, care delivery redesign that we desperately need. There's nothing like being out in the field. And it's interesting to have, uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to interact with a small handful of organizations that have seen the studies, now reading phase two of the studies. And, and the good news is they just make sense. They actually validate where they're putting their efforts forward. And so it'll it'll be really neat to see, again, sort of in the applied world, these organizations that are putting their efforts and their energies into saying, hey, these are, this is what the nurses are telling us. Um, it seems like that's what we should pay attention to. Anything that either of you would sort of crystal ball out of these two studies, out of the responses we've heard from the field, Katie, your response that you've heard from the industry, if you had to think about what might what we might see over the course of the next year in response to this research, any any thoughts about that? Well, before I get into that, I think it's really important that the CEO, if they're not a nurse, be at these meetings, because I thought the real wake-up call when we met Monday, Dan, to look over all this nursing stuff was the COs in the room. And and again, COs have a lot going on. When we ask questions like, are the charge nurses in staffing? And then the CNO talked about how much they're in staffing. I think for the CO, that was a little bit of, wow, I didn't know that. Then they got into this whole idea of floating. And it was real interesting because, you know, 
the nurses are such team players. They they started saying, well, you know, they've they've got a flow. And the C also, I don't know if they should, if they're not comfortable with what they're doing. But his all of a sudden it was like belt lights were going on for him that you gotta get into the data and you gotta sit there with the nurses and ask detailed questions. And then you get into things like turnover and housekeeping. And you that's another wake-up call. I was at a place Friday. That was the huge issue with the nurses on the cleanliness. So I don't have a crystal ball, except that CEO has to be at the table and he has to be listening and hearing. Because for this CEO, who I consider one of the best CEOs in the country, he was, I think, a little bit surprised when he was hearing from the CEO talk about those key issues of CNA, you know, um, floating, housekeeping. Um, those types of things. And I think it was a real wake-up call for him. So that, that's my, that you can't delegate this. You can't delegate this. You've got to get out of the C-suite. And I'm sure most of the listeners do, but you've got to listen firsthand and ask those those detailed questions. Katie? Yeah, I agree. I think that discovery and self-assessment and organizational assessment is, is very important. Um, it could be illuminating uh, to lighting the path to a, a better way to care for patients and to care for the people that care for them. It's it it it, it and I think you're going to find that um, there are cer- certain organizations that will embrace everything in, that we found in our study um, wholeheartedly. Some may say, "Oh, that's not us." So the way to challenge yourself is to the you know everything's available to you. Create your own study. Do your own assessment if you don't have Quint and Dan come to you and see what the data tells you. And once the data tells you some of these unfiltered, uh, ugly truths about what's not working, act on them and engage nurses and and engage the CEO and engage the board in getting to um, those fixes. Because some of those uh, changes to the examples that Quint mentioned, particularly with charge nurses being in assignments, those came, those didn't happen by accident. Those were intentional um, 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 uh, del- care delivery changes to reduce costs. Um, we talk about how nursing, uh, because of the reimbursement models that exist, um, nurses is primarily seen, seen as an expense that needs to be reduced. Um, and that will continue to happen if we don't continue to highlight these types of issues and the impact that it's having. So do your own assessment and be transparent about it and act on it. Um, and you may not be able to act on everything at once because of what it may create. Um, and then once you determine that you need additional resources, you may not be able to find the people <laughs> because that's the other thing. Uh, hard to get a nurse a days to fill uh, data metrics or are, are uh, terrible in terms of how long it takes to get an experienced nurse, but it'll take your experienced nurses lift that left you. They, you only need two. You only get two weeks' notice, right? So, so there are all these pieces that we have to reconcile, um, but create these pathways to be able to get top talent in, and also show um, prospective candidates that will work for your organization. The, um, the fact that you do care about them and the environment that they work in. And, and really integrate well-being at work because uh, that's a major issue right now. People are burnt out and stressed and overwhelmed, particularly nurses, and we have to fix these environments. 
Well, I want to thank both of you for taking what was, you know, sort of a, a a little spark of a relationship and then turning it into something that has already had such an impact on the industry, been such a great mirror being held up to the industry. And most importantly, Katie, to your point, and that was going to be my very last question, but you answered it. How do organizations take the research? How do they take what we've found? How do they take the voice of the research participants and apply it to their organization. So thank you to uh, the both of you for taking the spark of your relationship and turning it into something uh, very meaningful for the healthcare industry and and for nurses specifically. And a big thank to the ANA through Katie's leadership has been really, really helpful. And again, all this stuff, this is not a proprietary study. We opened it up. It's completely transparent. You, you, you can have everything you need. We just want to make healthcare better. You bet. We'll invite you to come see both phase one and phase two on our website, which is www.healthcareplussg. And you'll see the link to those studies when we post this podcast, uh, when the podcast goes live. So we'll make it real easy for our listeners to access the findings of the study. Quint, Katie, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. You too. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast. For more information about our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com.